Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are in the book of Matthew as we're looking at set number three of seven sets of prophecy terms. We're going through important prophecy terms during this teaching series in preparation for taking a a general overview uh, in our next teaching series of the uh, prophetic events that are going to take place according to the Bible, starting from now all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, which is a description of eternity. So I have uh, 30 events that I want to talk about, and as I've mentioned several times before, uh, and preparing to uh, start that series, I noticed that there were several prophetic terms that if we did not have a good grasp of them, we could be misled and could very, very well misunderstand what is being said because in, in every, every one of these cases that we're talking about, these seven sets of terms, the two terms that I'm contrasting in each set appear to be the same thing, talking about the same person or talking about the same event. And my reason for doing it is it's quite, quite uh, not the case, quite the opposite in some cases. And one of those is point number three that we're looking at on our worksheets that are available here to download from the Wait Radio Station website, and that is contrasting the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. The gospel of kingdom, of course, is what Jesus preached when he came to the earth the first time, and it's the gospel that was outlined all the way back. Uh, We went into Deuteronomy, we went into Jeremiah to look at the promises that God had made to the people in that case through Moses, that would have been blessings to them like Jesus uh, taught if those Israelites 1,400 years before Jesus had simply accepted the truth of what was being preached to them. God would have been their king, if you will. Um, in fact, he even said that when they the people asked for a king of Samuel, Samuel was crestfallen, and God spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They want a human being to be their king. So we fast forward 1,400 years, and God has now graciously sent his son to the earth to take on the form of a man so that man can relate to him, but the purpose here was to present the good news of the kingdom, again, that had been promised 1,400 years ago when they got ready to go into the promised land. This is the book of Deuteronomy. Um, That if they believed, he believed particularly that not only was he the king, but he was the son of God, then he would have brought that wonderful set of promises in right then. And that's what we're talking about right here is this is a kind of a, a variation, but a, a, a restatement, if you will, in a different way of what was told to the Israelites all the way back 
in uh, Deuteronomy 1,400 years before, and we're in Matthew chapter 5, and let's let's go over the what, what are called the blessings or the Beatitudes that were taught, and as I uh, mentioned in our last program, uh, and this is this is just me reading the scripture. It's not, you know, putting one commentary against another, but just reading the scripture. It would it appears to me from the simple literal reading that when Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, uh, contrary to the pictures that you see of Jesus speaking to this giant multitude of people. And I, my wife and I, my family, have actually stood on where uh, just about every, every theologian, it seems, thinks is the Mount of Beatitudes there on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a place where you could stand and speak down, uh, kind of like a little valley, to a lot of people without the, ne- the need of a, of a microphone and amplifiers, and you could be heard. And it does tell us in the Sermon on the Mount at the very end in Matthew chapter 7 that there were crowds there. So apparently it looks like from verse 1 that the disciples were the ones that made up his audience at the beginning, and then people started to find out that he was there. And we don't know how long it took to draw the crowds. It just doesn't say. And it's really not important, uh, really, uh, it's just a semantic sort of thing as you look at it, but it it's a little bit different than what you hear a lot of people preach, that Jesus didn't start talking until the crowds were really large. But but I think you can see, uh, as we started in our last program, if you look at the pronouns, there's a shift here to help us see that it was the disciples only in the beginning. Verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, that, w- that had been coming from all over the region, as we saw at the end of chapter 4, he went up on the mountain. And oftentimes when he'd go up on the mountain, it would be to get away from the crowds. And after he sat down on the mountain, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's, he's basically saying poor in spirit. And that's not a, a negative term here. It means it, it's a meekness. It's power under control. Meekness here is power under control. So these are strong people, but they are humble. And it says that theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom of heaven was the earthly kingdom that had been promised to Israel. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And we talked about the fact here that if they obeyed God, if they obeyed Christ, who was standing there in front of them, that he would uh, allow Israel to inherit the earth. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 28.1, which we did earlier on, uh, Several programs ago, it says in Deuteronomy 28.1 that part of the blessings to Israel would be that if you obeyed God and his commandments and followed them, that then Israel would be the preeminent nation on the earth. And later on in Deuteronomy, it says under those conditions, all the nations of the earth would fear Israel. 
So you can see this uh, fruition of this. If they blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall in, shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a little bit of a shift here, as you can see, because remember, as we've talked about several times before, in the gospel of the kingdom, and you see that clearly here as well, nowhere in the gospel of the kingdom is there any hint of the church, because the church is yet future. The church was formed as a result of Israel refusing the gospel of the kingdom. So there is no reference to the church. And without a reference to the church, you would expect, and it's proven out here, you do not see any cross. You do not see any death on the cross. You don't see the Messiah being buried. And you certainly don't see the Messiah being resurrected. He doesn't even mention it anywhere in here. In fact, he doesn't mention it until after the apostles, and this is later on in Matthew, and we're going to get to that fairly quickly here. He doesn't even mention the death, burial, and resurrection and the future church until after Israel, it's confirmed that Israel has turned away from him, that they've refused his offer of the kingdom. And he starts to, if from my way of looking at it anyway, and perhaps uh, you would see it the same way in verse 10, you can see that he starts a transition here because everywhere up there on the Beatitudes of the blessings are people who mourn, who are gentle, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. They're not doing anything to make the unrighteous Jews mad. Because the unrighteous Jews, you remember we've talked about this several times, that the Jews were expecting a king, they were expecting a conqueror, somebody who would come in here run, in this particular time frame, would run the Romans out and would reestablish the kingdom of Israel as it was. And, of course, their um, history would tell them all about the kingdom of, under David, under King David, and under King Solomon. So they were envisioning a return to the power and the subsequent blessings that would come through that power to the nation of Israel so that they could continue in their lifestyle, which unfortunately was idolatrous. We know that very clearly, that there was um, no uh, particular interest in being righteous, in particular any interest in mourning, in being gentle, in being uh, hungry and thirsty for righteousness and being merciful, pure in heart, being peacemakers. They weren't interested in those things. So this took them by surprise that, hey, it wasn't just Jesus coming back to take control and to run the Romans off and set up a, a uh, reestablish the mighty empire as it was under David. No, there were going to be moral and ethical requirements moral and ethical requirements. And he's saying those people who would would accept that, would accept that Jesus was the king, the son of God, 
and that they believed that these uh, requirements up here that would receive blessings for them were the truth. Then you have verse 10. If you believe that, and if you therefore practiced that in your life in first century Israel, Jesus said you're going to be persecuted for the sake of being righteous. And it says theirs is, theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven. They are actually the ones, not the ones that were just looking for a king and a power, a power broker, but the ones who were looking for the king as the son of God and therefore uh, would um, see very clearly that uh, to be gentle and to be merciful and to be pure in heart were all things that made sense to them that they should do that. Theirs was actually going to be the kingdom of heaven. And that's why most, most of the Israelites turned their backs on Christ. They did not want to change their lifestyles. They wanted to be given all of those blessings, but they didn't want to give anything in return, which would have obviously initially been obedience and then a lifestyle change based on that obedience. They didn't want to do it. So he's now turned from a general description of what the people uh, who entered the kingdom would, how they would be blessed, to now talking specifically to the disciples. And of course, out of the disciples would come the 12 apostles. Disciple meaning student, apostle meaning messenger of the word. Because he knows that the disciples sitting in front of him, most of them, were believers in everything that had been said up there, that they were gentle, they were hungry for righteousness and thirst um, for the pure word and so forth. So they knew that they were going to be persecuted, and Christ was telling them, this is what's going to happen. So we go into verse 11. Blessed are you. So now he's gone from a generalization to a specific you, you sitting in front of me right here, you, you disciples. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is where? In heaven, and it will be great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we know that the prophets were Old Testament saints. We know from our, our uh, Q&A portion here in the last few programs that the Old Testament saints, are uh, their, their spirits are in heaven. Their bodies will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation. We know that from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and that they will have those glorified bodies. So their reward is in heaven, and it will be great. He's now telling the... Um, apostles, the disciples, um, those that will uh, totally follow him. We know that a lot of the disciples down the road left him, but those that uh, would remain with him and remain faithful to the word and faithful to Jesus, that their reward would be in heaven. So basically what we're seeing here in this Sermon on the Mount is uh, a look forward knowing that Israel was not going to accept these ethical and moral um, pronouncements from Jesus, and therefore there were going to have, to have to be things that would take place down the road. So he was 
looking at the cross, even though he doesn't say it right here, uh, there's no other way to interpret your reward in heaven is great. Because remember, there is no heavenly reward for Israel in the gospel of the kingdom. The heavenly reward is only through the church. And we know that these disciples who would become apostles, we know for sure, that would become apostles would uh, accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior after his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, they are members of the church. I don't know if we specifically have said that before, perhaps way in the past, but the apostles, uh, because they believed in faith on Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, just like you and I today, they believed, and therefore they are part of the church. We will see the apostles obviously with the exception of Judas, we will see the apostles um, um, in heaven because they will be Old Testament. Um, they, uh, no, they'll be part of the church. They will, they will be um, resurrected with us. So you can see this big transition here. And then he goes on, and we're not going to get into the details here going forward from 13 uh, on, but you see that, that you're going to be the salt of the earth. So he's talking about those who would accept him, um, whether here in the kingdom or even if it was denied, these would be the people who would be the true believers, um, whether in the kingdom or as part of the church as it went forward. But again, the church is not in view here. Israel was not being talked about the church. But if you were a believer in Christ, you could see through all of this and see that there was ultimately going to be a need for something that would be called the church down the road and a death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah in order to receive your rewards in heaven. So this is what was preached early on to the apostles and to the disciples and then ultimately to the people because we know at the end of chapter 7 it talks about the crowd. So at some point, they started to come in here as all of these attributes of the promised kingdom were being preached by Jesus, both the good and the bad. And this is where people started to fall away from it. So in our next program, we'll move from uh, the Sermon on the Mount with his Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we'll move to Matthew 10, where Jesus commissions the 12 apostles to take this gospel to as far into Israel uh, as they possibly could before he calls them back um, to uh, find out that Israel has totally rejected him. So we'll be in Matthew 10 in our next uh, program during the teaching portion. But as we always do, we want to transition to our Q&A, and we are um, starting to finish up our look at a question, who is not included in the rapture of the church? And we've talked about, obviously, the church, which started at Pentecost 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 2, and it will be completed at the rapture of the church, which I believe is very soon. In fact, it's the next, albeit signless event, but it's the next event on the prophetic calendar uh, before God finishes his plan with Israel and sets up his kingdom. Uh, but those are not the only righteous people that will be resurrected. The church is resurrected in the rapture. We talked about the Old Testament saints, and those are everyone from Adam and Eve and Abel 
all the way down until Jesus Christ was glorified and went back to heaven, all of those people, those Old Testament saints, will be resurrected in their to their glorified bodies at the end of the tribulation. And we know that from Daniel chapter 12, and we went into some detail in Hebrews 11 to develop that point. Then we talked about the other the other saints that would receive their glorified bodies and those that those are those are what are called the tribulation saints and these are people who died for their faith in Christ during the tribulation and principally the second half of the tribulation uh, because in and we went to revelation 20 verse 4 and that's where we finished up in our last um, program Q&A was looking at those particular people who died for their faith in professing Christ or they died because they did not take the mark of the beast. And The reason they wouldn't have taken the mark of the beast is because they believed that the Antichrist was not the true God, not the, not Jesus, but he was Antichrist and that they believed that there was a real Jesus. So they had faith in Jesus and died for that. And it says that they, like the Old Testament saints will be resurrected at the end of the seven-year tribulation when Jesus comes back, and it says they will be given their glorified bodies and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So that's the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, and now we want to take a look at the Jews and the Gentiles, and these are the people in their Adamic bodies who make it to the end of the tribulation, and they are the ones who will be judged. So between a Jew and a Gentile, that's the entire population of the earth will be judged by Jesus at his second coming. So let's take a look at the judgment of Israel, and then we'll take a look at the judgment of the Gentiles. And we do that by going back into the Old Testament and go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, you don't find many people talking about this, and I know 15, 20 years ago, uh, I never heard anybody talk about it, but now it seems we're hearing more and more uh, as as we become more and more illuminated. Remember, there's no new revelations, but there are new illuminations. In other words, it's being made more clear to us, and the Holy Spirit is giving us more spiritual insight into the Scriptures to see how they fit together. And now you're finding people referencing Ezekiel 20, Ezekiel 20, and we're going to start at verse 33. Ezekiel 20, verse 33, it says, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. So obviously this is God talking to a hard-headed group of Jews, which, nothing new. This is Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, the last 2,000 years, Israel, Jews in general, not just the nation of Israel, but the Jews of which uh, I believe the last census out of Israel is that there are around 15 million Jews in the world today, which might surprise you how little that number is, but about 15 million Jews and the vast, vast majority not only will not recognize Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will not even say his name. They they will refer to him as that man. They're looking for somebody else. 
And of course, it's through the tribulation that they will recognize the fact that, hey, they saw him 2,000 years ago and didn't recognize him. And now they have the opportunity and a portion of them will. Well, that portion is described right here in Ezekiel chapter 20. So we were in 33. Let's look at 34 of Ezekiel 20. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. So this is the end of the tribulation period. God has has, uh, sent Jesus back to save Israel from the Antichrist. Remember we we learned in Matthew chapter 24 that if if God had not sent Christ back to answer their cry, the Antichrist would have wiped out all of humankind. It says no one on earth would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the righteous remnant of Israel. That's what it's talking about. Remember, the church isn't even on the earth. We've been raptured back um, seven years before, at least, that he's talking about coming back and fighting against uh, the um, forces of the Antichrist Oftentimes we we use the term Armageddon, but it says, with wrath poured out, and in verse 35, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. So he's bringing every single Jew that has made it through the tribulation into one place. So he's going to bring them from the four ends of the earth, just like it says in Matthew chapter 24, I believe it's verse 31 or 32, that he says he will he will bring them from the four corners, from the four winds of the earth, and bring them together. And here it says he will judge them face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord. So here's the next great uh, gathering together of all Israel to be judged. He did it coming out of Egypt, and now he's going to do it bringing him coming out of the modern-day Egypt, which is the world, the evil world. He's going to bring them out, and he's going to judge them. Verse 37, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And you remember we talked about in Jeremiah 31 in the teaching portion of our um, current series, Jeremiah 31, I will make a new covenant with the 12 tribes. Well, here's the covenant that he's talking about bringing them into. But here's the key. Look at verse 38. And I will purge from among you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. Let's quickly go to the second to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah, and let me read two verses to you from Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah 13. And in Zechariah 13... It tells us in verses 8 and 9, it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, 
Refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. This is the righteous portion of Israel that passes through the judgment, and they will go into the millennial kingdom. And we'll finish that thought up in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.